This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noah Balmer. And today I'm excited to welcome our guest, Professor Michael Reich. Professor Reich is the Vice Dean at Villanova's Charles Widger School of Law. He's well-published in IP and internet law, and he is a full-service IP consultancy. Uh, Professor Reich holds a JD from the University of Chicago and an AB from Stanford. Professor Reich, thank you so much for joining me here today at the Roundtable. Thank you for having me. Of course, let's jump into it. You have an extensive legal background uh, from practice to academia. How did you first get involved in expert witnessing? It was it was a random call, essentially. Uh, somebody called and said, we're looking for an expert in this area. And it turned out that I had the expertise. Uh, I had, up until my first engagement turned down several opportunities, but then eventually one actually fit and I accepted it. When you say that you turned down um, several opportunities, what is that calculus? What are the things that you're looking for as an expert witness? And as an attorney also, what are the things that you're looking for in an expert witness to decide not only that they have the subject matter knowledge, but that you're going to be a good fit for an engagement? Well, that's the, really the question. So the two questions are, number one, well, there are three. Number one, do I have the expertise uh, that they're looking for? Am I going to hold up uh, to some sort of cross-examination? Uh, number two, uh, based on what I've heard about the case, is my opinion in line with the side of the case that's giving me a call? And then number three, is this an opinion I can give that's going to be an actual opinion that can be admitted, or is it really more of a legal conclusion uh, that I think I'm, I'm happy to give a legal conclusion about, but it may not actually fit what's needed for the case uh, with respect to an expert. So how much of the case is divulged during those initial calls to be able to make that calculus? Typically enough, mo most folks will send the complaint and maybe an answer. And that's you in IP, at least that's usually enough because you can see uh, what the claim is with, I, with, with, with a case, you can see uh, what the type of IP is, what the claims are going to be. And you get a sense really quickly uh, for what the arguments are going to be and where, where the request for the expertise is going to be. Uh, sometimes you don't even get that far and it's just on the phone and somebody's saying, Look, we're looking for somebody who's an expert in trademarks who can can talk about whether, you know, a trade when a trademark becomes generic, let's say, or something like that. And how about some of those intangibles? How do you go about sussing out, you know, let's say you've decided, okay, this is going to be a great expert witness, or you're the expert witness and you've decided, oh yeah, I definitely have the subject matter knowledge. What about the intangibles? How do you decide if this is a person that you want to proceed with? Um, well, can they pay their bills? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one. Um, uh, but that's, hasn't really been a problem. Uh, but beyond that, not a lot. I mean, this is, it's not like this is criminal where it's like, is this person really guilty? Am I worried about it? Uh, you know, the intangible for me is, am I, am I representing somebody where the outcome is going to come out? And I would be really, really sad if they won. And 
the reality is for most IP cases, that's just not an issue, uh, at least where an expert witness is needed. There are some IP cases where I really do care about the outcome, but those are not typically the cases that are calling me to be an expert witness about something. So for the most part, I just want to get a sense for uh, you know, is to, it, 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 will my expertise be helpful? Uh, do I do I care enough about this issue that you know I that that I I wouldn't be sad if this client won? And, and at least as a starting point, that that's typically enough for me. Do you find yourself having to turn down a significant number of cases for one reason or another? I say I probably turned down yeah well over half the calls i received if not three quarters or more i don't get that many calls i'm I'm not affiliated with any particular group 100 so basically it's catch as catch can and there's not a huge market for attorney type expertise and so you know the fit the fit's kind of got to be right and often it's just not As an attorney, you have a perspective that uh, most expert witnesses do not. How do you approach expert witness work as an attorney simultaneously working for an attorney? How's that dynamic pan out? Well, it's hard because as an attorney, I like want to make arguments and say, you know, this is what we should be doing, but that's not really my job. So what I try and do is take a step back and say, look, this is not my case. I, you know, I, I've been asked to do an, give an opinion and I will give the opinion I can give and say where I can't give the opinion. And then from there, do the best I can. That said, I typically do ask a lot of questions and I do ask for a decent number of documents in a particular area uh, because I know as an attorney what I would be asking for to prove particular facts and so and and so i i try and get the details i can about what the arguments are going to be so i so i can understand where we're going another hard thing to do is to like not pay attention to the other parts of the case where i'm not an expert because that can be costly for the for the client for me to be reviewing a bunch of documents that have nothing to do with what i'm testifying about you got to do a little so you can get a sense for where the arguments are and what's going to happen uh, but you can't do too much uh, because it winds up being irrelevant to your work and 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 you don't want to be charging the client for for work you're not actually doing. Do you find that there's a good deal of push and pull in terms of how much you want at the outset, how you know how big that initial uh, info dump is? It depends. Some lawyers want to give like everything and some are like, here are just a few documents to get you started. And and I'm willing to work with both as long as the attorney understands that I'm limited by the documents I see. Uh, I, I don't love being surprised at at trial or at deposition. And so I want to make sure I'm getting everything that might possibly come up that I could be asked about that would be relevant. Uh, but if counsel doesn't want to give it to me and then I get surprised, it's their case, not mine. Uh, and and so that's a choice they have to make about what they're going to give to me. And that leads to one other question, which is when I'm taking a case, the other reason I wind up turning down cases, I forgot to mention this earlier, is 
since I have written a lot, I will often think about what have I written about this issue. And sometimes I will say to the client, I'm happy to do this, but you should know I've written articles X, Y, and Z. You should look at those articles and see what I've said. Uh, and sometimes they read those articles and say, yeah, you, you, you're not the right guy for us. Or they'll read those articles and say, okay, what, will your opinion be consistent with those? What's your answer with respect to those, et cetera? Um, but, but, but having con- opinions consistent with my past publications is an important issue. Yeah, that's a big topic, especially for someone as well-published as yourself. In fact, you've even been uh, uh, cited by the Supreme Court. Is that accurate? It it is. It is. It's been a little while, but I still write on that. Well, let me ask you then, how do you keep track of every little thing that you've ever said and published since, you know, the start of a long and illustrious career? So there are two things. Number one, I'm actually relatively consistent in my views. So I've so f- I have been questioned about things I've written and so far none of them have been inconsistent with what I was testifying. They might have gone the other way, but there's always a footnote that says but if the facts went this way then you would see a different outcome and I'm able to say, well the facts are a different way. This is what I was saying. You know, I'm so, you know, you're missing the nuance here. Um, But sometimes I Google. Um, It's actually my blog posts. I remember what I've said in my articles, but I actually sometimes will Google and see blog posts because I blogged a lot and I find blog posts that I literally have no recollection of writing. Uh, and, And I read it and I go, wow, that was pretty good. But I just don't, I just don't remember writing it but once i read it again i was like hey maybe i should publish that oh wait i already did uh but even (laughs) then what i wrote at the time i think it's good because it's very consistent with my viewpoint so you know maybe that's bad maybe i should change my views and adapt over time but the reality is other than a few areas where the law is changing and then in those cases i recognize and say well what i said then is different because the law has changed uh I'm 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 relatively consistent over time. Have you done a significant amount of work for both the plaintiff and defendant side in terms of being an expert witness? Yeah, probably about half and half, maybe a little bit more for the defendant, which is interesting because I was actually represented plaintiffs a little more in practice, but but it's, you know, it, it all depends, but it's I I've represented both as an expert. Is there a significant difference in the way that you approach those two types of engagements? No, not at all. Sure. Is the process different when you're writing, let's say, a rebuttal versus an initial report? Yes, because with a rebuttal, I have somebody else's... Well, it depends. If it's a rebuttal, but there's no expert, like I'm just the first expert, but it comes later, then it's basically the same process. If it's a rebuttal, then... I'm I'm have my own opinions, but I'm also making sure to respond to opinions of whatever expert was the primary on the other side. And I want to recognize where they are wrong or they're incomplete or where they are relying on what I believe is a faulty assumption or whatever it is that I'm disagreeing with or note where I agree with them uh, and get to the point of where we disagree. Um, 
uh, I don't really believe in wasting time and having everything obfuscated. If if we agree on points, we should make that point and get to the point where we disagree. Sure, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you, a lot of uh, expert witnesses find themselves working on teams of various sizes. Have you been in situations where you find yourself working on uh, teams with other expert witnesses? And if so, what is that interface like? How do you, how much are you working with them and how much are you kind of just in your own world? Not a lot of teams. I have been on cases where I was an expert and there was a damages expert, but it, they weren't cases where the damages expert needed, like they, they relied on what I was saying, that there was liability, let's say, but then they went off on their own tangent of like, assuming there's liability, they went off and said their, what their, what the damages were. Um, so I have not done a lot. I know sometimes technical experts will do this with, with like, say a reasonable royalties analysis. And so the technical expert will say, yes, the infringement is on this one little part. And then the damages expert will say, well, based on what the expert's saying about this one little part and how it interplays with the other parts and what else is going on in the industry, this is what I say the royalty is. But that's not really the type of opinions I give. And so there's not a lot of that kind of teamwork. When you're writing your report, do you have a strategy that you go into? Do you uh, typically index things or do you have a, a method that you like to use to kind of get yourself organized when you're writing your expert report? I'm organized by the end. I use headers, uh, headings, but but I typically write as I think. So as, I, as I'm reviewing a document, I will then go to the section that I'm writing about and then write about that section, sort of how I write articles and then write about that thing for a while, and then I'll go to the next part, and then I go back through at the end and sort of massage it into shape. Sure. A lot of people don't use a, a you know well-defined system. It's just interesting to hear the differences between the way that uh, different experts uh, like to write reports. Um, I, I want to move on to something uh, that's that's really been interesting to me lately, which is demeanor in court. How do you recommend as an attorney that your experts, uh, for lack of a better word, act in front of a deposition or in front of a jury? How do they keep themselves together? Um, should they interject levity, for, in for, for instance? How do they keep themselves relatable? And how do you train on something like that? Is that something that you have to have as an innate characteristic or can it be taught? Well, those are all good questions. Uh, I wish I had good answers. I, I prefer, and this is for me, I have no idea what attorneys who hire me want. I prefer that experts come across as relatable and it's a fine line, right? Because you want them to have expertise, but also be able to communicate with the fact finder. And, and, and that's a skill that's hard. Um, you know, there are damages experts I've seen who are like, okay, here's a spreadsheet. This is my damages number. There's the bottom line and I'm done. And I just hate that style. But I, I've seen lots and lots of plaintiffs lawyers use that and they win money that way. And so that may just be the way that wins because the juries are like, I don't know how to all, add all this up. So I don't, I don't need to understand it. And so it all depends, but at least on the technical side, 
right for I I feel like there's got to be some explanation. So, for example, when I was doing patent cases, when you have you have to have people testifying about who the Fosita is, the person having ordinary skill in the art. I used to like to find experts who were actually ordinary skilled in the art people rather than somebody who was like a PhD saying, well, I am the super expert, but let me tell you what a person having ordinary skill in the art was. I preferred having people who were like, I'm an ordinary guy. Let me tell you what I know as an ordinary skill. That's different from like true expert where it's like, I need to know the entire field. I think levity is okay. I, when I, when I've testified, I've tried to inject levity. Can you tell me a little bit more uh, about that or give me an example of that? That's a topic that's just fascinating to me. Uh, you know, just small, s small jokes here and there. I tip typically I try and do, it's more self-effacing, but not, not so self-effacing that it diminishes expertise. Okay. Uh, I, I think works best. I, I personally think levity at the expense of the questioner doesn't work as well. No, that that's great. That's great advice. That's exactly the kind of thing that I'm looking for. That's my view, but I don't have, I don't have a particular, it's more in the moment, right? I mean, that's, sure. the, that's the key. I mean, having it canned doesn't work. Being able to like do it in the moment is allows you to what have, have the connection with the fact finder in such a way that comes across as being sincere about what you're doing, because that's the ultimate goal to be believed as not somebody who's just being paid to tell the story that the party wants you to tell, but instead somebody who has real expertise in an area and is doing their best to provide information uh, and happens to get paid to do it. Without giving any of the specifics, do you have a pivotal case or two that either inform the way that you go about being an expert witness or as an attorney, change the way that you think about expert witnesses in general, or the way that you utilize expert witnesses? So the first time I got deposed, I realized how awful my report, expert report was. It was just not detailed enough. And so I learned a lesson about being a little more detailed that my reports are still not detailed enough, but uh, <laughs> I've, I've gotten better. I've gotten better at it. Also, the first time I got deposed, when you get deposed, especially when you're an attorney expert, the questions are basically reminders of all the things you have not done in your life. So as many things as I've done, the questions are like, how many cases I have not tried, how many clients I have not had how many awards I have not won. And so that first time that happened was a little bit of a blow. Now I'm ready for it, right? And I can I can live with it. But but the first time that was that was a a little bit rough. And then the second one I would say is the first time I got further and we got to arbitration hearing and the arbitrators were poo-pooing a little bit about the testimony being more legal conclusion than not, at least some of it, that also was a lesson about how to do the report and how to testify to make sure that what I'm testifying is not a legal conclusion and also making sure that I'm on the same page with any witnesses, I mean, with, a, with, a, with counsel about where the risks are about, you know, about 
things that can be norms and things that are legal conclusion. Uh, you know, my opinion was in that case, I was testifying about things that were norms in the industry and they were taking them to be legal conclusion, which I think was wrong, which is a whole other story. Um, but it was a lesson in how you've got, how you've got to pitch it. And I've since, you know, consulted with colleagues who've done a lot more testimony than I have about ways to clean that up. Do you think, or do you find that you're treated different in court as an attorney than a typical expert witness between the deposer, the judge, the jury, the opposing counsel? Well, certainly the cross-examine, right? Because they want to portray me as basically just I'm a hired lawyer getting up to give closing argument. And then the the goal is to have the arbitrators not view you that way. And so, yeah, that's a risk when you're when your legal counsel, when you're a lawyer who's been hired, that is a risk. And so I've been hired as an expert to testify about norms in the industry, right? So I can say, look, I've read about, seen, negotiated thousands of agreements. And so I'm going to testify about the norms of what these agreements look like generally. But opposing counsel is like, you're just testifying about best practices for writing an agreement. And so that's the push-pull you've got, which is the difference between what are industry norms, right? What's trade usage versus what's you know legal conclusion. Lawyers work for their clients, but uh, expert witnesses, their duty is to the truth. What does neutrality mean to you, and what is the uh, the role of neutrality in the uh, in expert witnessing? Well, it allows me to sleep better at night, which is which is nice. I mean, one <laughs> of the reasons one of the reasons I got out of full time litigation was I did not like the back and forth arguing, and I didn't like the high stakes of the litigation. It just wasn't something that like made me feel good uh, that I wanted to do with my career. But expert witnessing is like a little of that, right? I still get the exposure to disputes and and try and help resolve them, but in a way that is much more focused on the facts of the case, which is what I like to do, right? That's what I do as a professor. I focus on the truth and the and learning from what's out there in reality. And I try to bring that perspective as an expert and so that that's what it means for for me. You know, I still hate it if I'm if I'm an expert for a client who doesn't win, uh, especially because I get to like them over time. And and I and also, you know, it's you you start you if you're giving the testimony, it's because you believe you're on the right side of things. But it's not quite the same as like your livelihood being depending on winning this case for the client. As somebody who is still involved in in academia, obviously, how important is it that you continue to grow your knowledge? How do you remain an expert in your field? So it involves a variety. It involves going to conferences. And I go to conferences where my colleagues talk about their experiences. And we all share stories about the people we've talked to. It involves going to conferences where people in industry, that is lawyers, talk about what they do. And so I learned that. It involves reading cases. So I've done multiple studies, empirical studies of case law, where 
It's just a matter of reading thousands and thousands of cases. And so when I testify, for example, about the norms, like in a a malpractice case, if I testify about the norms of what patent lawyers do, I'm frequently, the cross-examination is often, well, you didn't try that many cases. And my response is yes, but I've read thousands of cases. I've read thousands of orders. I've read thousands of motions. And so I know what lawyers are doing on, and I've talked to lawyers out there about what they're doing in the field. And, you know, and, and so I, I have a sense for what they are doing in these cases, much more so than the, however many cases I might've tried, because I'm actually following what everybody is doing and not what one is doing. So the difference between being a professor and being a lawyer with respect to experiences, the lawyer sees what they see. And the professor, if they're doing the job right, is learning what everybody sees, not quite with the same depth for those few cases, but with the breadth of all of them. Before we wrap up, do you have any last advice for particularly newer expert witnesses or attorneys working with newer expert witnesses? One is get ready for re- re- review the documents, get ready for that deposition and and stick stick to your opinions and be confident is number one. And, uh, you know, try and be cognizant of the things you've said before. I guess that's number two. Mr. Rich, thank you so much for joining me here today at the roundtable. Thank you. This has been fun. And thank you to our audience for joining me for another discussion at the roundtable. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 